0: Welcome to the Success Inspired Podcast, a business and personal development podcast to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential. And now here is your host, Vid Muller.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Success Inspired Podcast. Today, my guest is a founder of Well World TV and an Emmy-nominated television producer who currently has two shows, Senior Moments and Journey into Wellbeing, airing on PBS. She's a keynote speaker, Published author and television host, she's a successful businesswoman with a variety of milestones, both the corporate and entrepreneurial landscape. Examples including increasing customer satisfaction, resulting in millions of dollars in gross revenue through a systemized customer experience platform, consulting, <clears throat> and also consulting for some wellness brands. Her latest startup, world Wall TV, with this modern network, Deborah hopes to improve everyone's health by sharing educational. And inspirational content designed to motivate positive change. Please welcome to the show, Deborah Kerner.
0: Woo, woo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Beth. That was amazing.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. Great to have you in the show. Now, since I've already introduced you a little bit, what's something that not many people know about you?
0: Hmm. Well, most people don't realize I'm half Portuguese because I, I tend to look more German, English, and Irish, which yeah. is like my other genealogy. But half of my family has like dark, brown, curly hair, brown eyes, and brown skin, and then there's me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. it's a bit of a bit of a mix. Nice. And where are you, where are you where are you zooming from today?
0: I am zooming from beautiful South Florida, one mile from the ocean, which I try to jump into at least five times a week because that's how. That's how I'm keeping my sanity these days a bit
1: <laughs> nice and you guys you guys have summer right now?
0: yeah well our we have summer year round it's just you know it's always 80 plus I mean I the lowest it ever gets is maybe 50 degrees or something like that so um, oh, yeah we're nice. definitely 100 degrees today
1: all right I'm gonna convert that into Celsius but I think it sounds sounds warm sounds like a warm weather yeah. so that's good <laughs> high, yeah. All right, so tell us, uh, tell us, tell us and the listeners, your journey because you've done quite a lot of things. And based on my research, I can see you've also delved into some, uh, you know, businesses of massage from from that from corporate world to to now running a successful uh, <clears throat> wellbeing TV network. So tell us that journey. How did you How did you get to that?
0: Well, I started probably just like any other college graduate, you know, I went to university I graduated and I just started in my career. So I think because I'm just a type A, you know, workaholic type person, I I was able to elevate pretty quickly. And so I would, I took on director of marketing positions very quickly. I would change companies, I would be recruited. And really my career culminated at a fortune 250, which is a very large entity here in the United States. And, you know, I was a I was a corporate worker. So I was putting in the 12 hours, working my rear end off, trying to make it climbing the ladder. And, you know, my specialty, I was always housed in the marketing department. But they created a position for me where I was responsible for the customer experience for 800 stores. And so that really, that was like my MBA degree, because I just learned every component of that business and how to deliver high satisfaction for our customers.
1: And what was that system about?
0: The system that I created. So, so basically, we we facilitated a full. Are you the name of the company was uh, Valvoline Instant Oil Change? That was the the name of the business. And then our the way we mapped that service path was we conducted. You know, it cost us a quarter of a million dollars to do full blown customer segmentation. So I knew my customers better than they probably knew themselves.
1: And then. By understanding those customers, that then you can take those real data and make better decisions in the business.
0: Yeah. So what? So what we ended up doing was we were very much a financially focused business. So all of our um, focus was on financial delivers, you know, expenses, labor costs, things that a normal company looks at. Yep. This was a pivot. So now all of a sudden, we needed to create a system that was focused on high satisfaction because we could directly correlate satisfaction levels in our customers in profitability for the company. So for even just to give you an example, if a customer says they're highly satisfied with their experience with a business, or they just say they're satisfied, the difference between those two scores is significant. In fact, it can actually sink a business. So you know, companies really need to focus on that high satisfaction, and the only way that we can deliver that is to really understand what drives satisfaction for that for the customer. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in the, in the instant oil change business, it was obviously speed of service. People want to get their car in and out as quickly as possible. They don't want to be pressured when they come into the service center. So a lot of times they felt like technicians were trying to oversell them. You know, yeah. hey, I'm just here for an oil change. Oh, you need your transmission and your tire change and all that. Um, you know, they wanted to... Um, clean service center, friendly and knowledge customer um, customer service representatives. And so my job was to understand all these nuances and create a system across 800 stores so that every customer that came in was getting a high level of satisfaction with their service.
1: Right. From start to finish when they enter that right um, service yeah. center and how they're being communicated to and how fast it takes and not being sold to any other things they don't need. Yeah. It really comes down to customer service and <clears throat> those technicians having those skill sets as a uh, of a customer service. A lot of times they don't they don't have that. They really just they they're really just technicians and they just want to fix your car and look at other other opportunities, what else they could fix so there's a bigger bigger bill, right?
0: Yes, exactly. And it touched everything. I mean our signage, uniforms, training processes, the way we communicated, our marketing, like everything was involved in creating what we called a touch point. So they were all touch points with the customer. And so I had to oversee and kind of analyze every single touch point to make sure it was in alignment to what I knew was going to drive high satisfaction for them.
1: Now, this is good. This is good. This is actually uh, a really um, a topic that I, I, well, an area that I enjoyed doing because understanding those touch points, like you said, Unless you document those touch points and have it well doc, like have that system around. What are all those different experiences uh, for the customer? Um, and having it almost like scripted, like this needs to happen that way. This needs to happen kind of that way. I mean, there's always a room for a bit of a you know personality stuff. But uh, when you do that, then you can you can assess that. You can do that. You can do you can send out that survey, get that feedback from a customer, see what see what it spits out and then reflect back on your system, on those touch points. And because you've had it documented and you're following through, and hopefully everybody else and all those technicians and everybody in the team docu- follows through with it, then you can assess that based on, okay, that's true. That's a true data here. Okay, we've got this feedback. Okay, what can we improve here? I love that because we have that in the, at the gym that I manage here. Um, same thing. you know, We look at, okay, if we do in a Facebook ad and kind of that whole from start to end, right? Yeah, we do a Facebook ad for uh, promoting, you know, for say for a forty-five um, challenge program. What does that ad look like? What does it say? What does the ad promises to? Then what's being said on the phone? What do we say on the phone? You know, what are some of the automated touch points? What are some of the actual real t- like person touch points with communication trying to get them onboarded? You know, sold onto a trial program. Right. Mm-hmm. Then once they sign up for the program what happens then how do we how do we make sure they get the best possible experience and that first impression and all those things and then ultimately did they achieve um, were they satisfied over those 28 days let's say it's a 28 day program did they achieve a, a good result and are they actually going to convert into a membership yeah I love sometimes
0: that. it's just like the real subtle nuances so when we I launched like a system-wide customer satisfaction assessment tool. And so when our first round of scores came in, we were like in the 67% range, which is average. So Mm. only 67% of our customers were highly satisfied. So when I looked at the key drivers that we were measuring, feeling pressured, we were scoring very poorly on. And so what the shift that we made was when somebody pulled into the service center, It was different if it was a technician or the customer service person saying, oh, you need a cabin air filter. Oh, you need this. Oh, you need that. Because then the person felt like, I just came in for an oil change. Why are you pressuring me to try to get these other things? So the shift that we made was we downloaded all the manufacturer recommendations into our point of sale system. So now when the customer came in, we could look at their mileage and say, oh, you're at sixty-eight thousand miles. Did you know that Ford recommended you have a transmission fluid exchange at fifty thousand miles? It totally took the pressure off of the, you know, technician to the customer and just put it into the manufacturer's hand. Yeah. And so, not only did we get more sales, but the customer didn't feel pressured anymore. So it's literally these small nuances that can change a business. Mm.
1: Big takeaway from this I'm getting is that you can have all these different touch points that are assessing, but ultimately there's only some of them that or that ultimately some of them have that really big impact. And so yes. yep. they are the ones who need exactly. to change face, right? And then you can worry about those little ones that make less impact.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So tell us what happened then. So you big, big experience in the corporate world, then you moved into straight into wellness. Or what what, what was that transition?
0: I think this will be inspiring for your listeners who maybe are in the corporate grind and they're thinking about, gosh, if I just did something on my own, you know, how would that look like? So I was basically burning the candle at both ends and I was feeling it. So I was in my early to mid 40s at the time and I just didn't feel good. I, you know, I was, I gained weight. I couldn't sleep. I had chronic heartburn. You know, it's like all these major problems that were going on. And I just kept thinking to myself, you know, if I work this hard for myself, I can't fail. And that literally became my mantra. And I also, you know, being fully transparent, I'm such a purpose-driven person that I thought, I don't know that I want my legacy in life to be that I help people have really fast oil changes without (laughs) being pressured, you know. So I just, I wanted to be in the health and wellness industry. So I started to prepare myself for that big leap. And, you know, some of the things that I did is I paid off my debt. I can live very conservatively if I'm focused on something I'm really passionate about. I'm willing to tighten up the belt, you know, tighten up the purse strings and, uh, you know, live frugally. But I wanted to mitigate my financial risk before I took my big leap. Um, yeah. And so by the time I did it, I mean, I went, this was, you know, 2007 and you know i was making really good money benefits you know a nine yards and i always tell people i went from over six figures to zero dollars in one day you know? <laughs> and then it was off then it was off to the races and you know there's no stopping you know when you're an entrepreneur you have to be resilient
1: did you did you at least so one of those strategies you set you you got rid of your debt so you got no financial burden did you also plan with like um your personal income for like you know how they say you know save enough money so you can pay yourself for a year,
0: yes, and the company that I started was an education and a consulting business, so we didn't have a brick and mortar, we didn't have equipment, I mean we were you know it was basically what was in here in our experience that we used to to go out and make this business happen. but yes, I had you know some cash reserves, minimize my monthly expenses, mm-hmm. paid off my vehicles, you know all of those things because I knew. That when you're free falling out of a comfortable, safe, high paying job into the world of the unknown with no guaranteed income, you know, I I needed a runway. I also knew I left my job on very good terms that I could go on on my hands and knees and go beg for my job back if I had to. (laughs) Yeah, good.
1: Yeah. You left it on the good note. I
0: didn't have to do that, but I made sure that I had paved that path.
1: Yeah, good two takeaways from this don't burn the bridges always keep good relationship <laughs> in the past if you can and and the second definitely save up a little bit of money because i can definitely relate to this when you're growing a business when you're starting a business on your own if you haven't got savings um it's scary and and when you get and it's stressful right it's so stressful and when you get into that stressful um uh, mode your brain power becomes demi- like less efficient. Like you actually, your intelligence drops because you're you start to focus really, really on that, on that, on the uh, more basic necessities in life, like how you're going to pay for rent, how are you going to make uh, enough money to pay your food, and then instead of you know making the right decision in your business, you start to be driven by a, a, a really quick, quick cash, and where can you make that quick cash, and so it really affects affects growth of that business. I can definitely relay, like for me, you know, yeah. um, if I may just share, share a little story. I came to Australia 2010 on a student visa and, you know, Australia has a limitation, 20 hours of work. You can only work 20 hours of, uh, uh, a week mm. and then you have to pay for your school every, um, every three um, three months. I, I think I paid around 2000, 2000 Australian dollars. Mm. And so it was very scary. I'm trying to make, save enough money for that, pay for my rent, pay for my food. And I came to Australia with not much money and I don't come from a wealthy family or anything, you know, I, I saved up a little money from my work in Scotland and I came here and and I started working in hospitality, you know, um, in the restaurants. But then I got qualified in the fitness industry and I got so passionate, like very quickly I fall in love with it, like became a fitness instructor and in, through school I got a, offered a job at the gym and on the reception. Um, started working there soon soon they gave me some classes, and I was working there and it was great and then I decided okay, you know what i 'm going to try to uh, try my start my own business and become a personal trainer got qualified, started running boot games. The gym shut down, so I, I was actually kind of it was half wanting to do it, and secondly, I was forced to do it because the gym shut down, yeah. so the guy who owned it he 's like oh, it 's all collapsing take take the boot game, go with it, see how you go. And I decided to do that. And this, I actually decided instead of going for, you know, working for a big box gym and paying my rent, I decided to go for my, like purely on my own. And yeah, it yeah. was tough. It was tough. I didn't have any savings. So I can definitely say if I if I could do it again, I would definitely do a few things different. I would probably work for the big box gyms, maybe pay pay my rent there because I would have, you know, the, the thing about working at big box gym as a personal trainer is you have, an o- ongoing influx of new members, new leads that you can approach. For me, I didn't have any of it. I was sort of just driving my leads to my website, developing like learning how to do my website and try and do best job I can to get referrals. Yeah, so stuff. So,
0: well, I think you said that exactly right. I mean, financial fear can be debilitating. So you know, plan for that part. Like, because yeah. you're gonna you're gonna have to get resilience to being fearful about your finances when you're winging it, you know, when you're on your own. And some people can launch a business and maybe they have a widget or a product they're selling and they immediately start generating revenue. But, you know, most new businesses fail. So the more pre-work that you do to make that leap, you know, less painful, definitely, you know, definitely do that. And financial fear is one of them.
1: But if we flip the coin, on the other hand, I think it's good to go through that resiliency as well because it builds your character. And and then when things get better, you can always look back and, you know, remember those tough times where you come from and like, I guess, become a bit more uh, calculated in your decisions, maybe even more than you would. So what was that journey from then? So.
0: So yeah, so my big leap from corporate America was straight into a um, education and consulting business. I went into the spa and massage world because I wanted to, you know, be in the health and wellness industry. And the partner that I was starting the company with was a massage educator. So I really brought the business part to the entity, and then he brought the massage education. So that was a really important combination because I was able to start approaching different businesses as a consultant and work with them on similar things that I had worked in my corporate life from a business perspective. And then he could work with their teams of employees and massage therapists and estheticians and elevate their skill set. So it was a combination of, you know, kind of my business background and experience, and then him actually teaching them the hands-on skills that would elevate their quality as a therapist.
1: That's a good combination and And those skill sets that you took from corporate, they can easily be modulated for a small business too there's certain certain principles that always apply, right?
0: Yes, in fact, you know one of my first clients was Elements massage, which they have about two hundred and fifty massage studios here in the u s now, and so I started to work with the c e o and the c o o and we mapped what we called the service path for elements massage and so it, I, I always say I made the leap from motor oil to massage oil, yeah. so uh, <laughs> which was a good leap. Um, but but basically I had to dig into the massage experience and really understand the nuances of what would make a client happy or a client unhappy. And because you're a therapist, you probably know some of these things, but it's, yeah. you know, a, a lot of people are nervous when they come in to get a massage for the first time. So they need, an open and welcoming therapist. So, if a therapist just comes in the room and says, Joe, you're up, and then turns their back and walks out, you know, somebody that could be a detrimental experience.
1: Um, nudity,
0: you know, like people are confused, should I, you know, do I have to take all my clothes off? Do I not? So, communicating clearly, uh, the level of pressure, you know, so one of the things we taught therapists is not just say, How's that pressure? How's that pressure? because the Client will just say it's fine, it's fine. Yeah. So, we got them to say regarding pressure, would you like me to go deeper, stay here, or lighten up? And then they have to make a choice and tell the therapist exactly what they're looking for. So, it's all the little nuances of a massage experience that I got to play with.
1: I love this, and and this is a good one actually. Good point about giving people three choices and like really spe- being specifics, specific, right? It's like with sales. If you say somebody at the end of the you know sales call, "So would you like to sign up?" You kind of leaving it open, but if you say, "Okay, would you like to go for A or B?" Then they have right. to make a choice. So I yeah. love that. That's good.
0: Yeah,
1: and you're right. Like those experiences from, because I yeah as a massage therapist, I can definitely tell um, getting a good amount of pressure when, when you, you know, you got a set an expectation when you go for a treatment, right? You might be somebody who, who's just had a really stressful week and just want a bit of a Swedish style massage for a bit of relaxation. But you might also be somebody who's working out and, and knows their body really well. And they expect specific treatment, you know, getting that specific muscle, you know, being released might be some, some niggle in the upper back or that sort of stuff. So it, it, it the treatment can only be good if it's if it's well-consulted prior, like you're doing a really thorough, um, what do you call it, the pre-treatment questionnaire type of thing.
0: Yeah, and that's usually where dissatisfaction happens in the massage experience because most, most therapists are good at basic techniques. So they learn Swedish, they learn some deep tissue, stretching, But it's the nuances of the customer service part of the massage experience that causes dissatisfaction. And that's not what they're taught in school. So that's so I wrote a book for massage schools specifically to address the nuances of that service path. So a massage therapist could understand it's not about the skill necessarily. That's important. But if you're not, you know, doing your intake properly, if they say they're having neck and shoulder pain, but you don't address that you know, those are the things that cause, you know, levels of satisfaction or dissatisfaction with that type of service.
1: Now, for anybody listening out there and who may be running a massage business or a massage therapist, what is the book called?
0: It's called Success from the Start. It was published by F.A. Davis, but you can buy it on Amazon. So you literally can just type in my name. Uh, my last name is K-O-E-R-N-E-R, Success, for the, success from the Start. Uh, business principles for massage therapists, and and you can buy it on Amazon there.
1: Awesome! I'll make sure I put in the show notes. Now, moving on from that, where did you go on next? Did you jump into what you have now? Global um, well, TV? Yeah, it's
0: a, I I did a little uh, I did an Instagram live this morning because I still wasn't doing what I feel like I'm supposed to do in the world. So I have a lot of you know talent and experience in business. But I still, you know, I was doing that to make a living, but there was part of me that still felt like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. Mm. And so after that doctor's visit, where I, I, when I was in corporate America and I landed in the doctor's office and he literally, he handed me five prescriptions instead of helping me change my lifestyle. And I felt like I'd been sucker punched. So when I reflected back, I knew that that was a critical moment because my desire was to educate people on all of the different types of modalities that existed in the world outside of just taking a prescription and marching to the pharmacy, because there's a whole world of ways that we can take care of ourselves that we're not actually always offered. Mm. Um, and so that was really when I reflected back, I knew that my passion and purpose rested within that. The next critical moment for me was, um, when Oprah Winfrey who had been doing a talk show forever announced that she was leaving her talk show and starting a new network called own. She put out a request for a reality TV show. And so it was the first time I thought, wow, you know, if I had my own TV show, what would I do? And I was like, well, I'd be like a health explorer. I would travel the world and uncover these great stories on Ayurveda and chiropractor and massage. And just as I learned as the host, I would share that with my viewer and so it was the next pivotal point because all of a sudden I started to think about video. How would I use video to educate people? And so I put together a concept for a TV show. Like you mentioned, Journey into Wellbeing was my first TV show. And I went and pitched it to my PBS channel, Public Broadcast here in the States. Mm-hmm. And they liked it. And they said, all right, if you produce that show, we'll broadcast it. And I was like, oh, crap. I guess I'm producing a TV show now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.
0: I I better get on that.
1: (laughs) So what goes into producing a TV show like that?
0: Well, see, and that's like the, you know, I was an independent producer. Um, I had the concept. So I hired a creative director, you know, somebody who had been producing video for for a while, um, but also got my passion. Like that's a critical component. You can find a technician, but you need to find somebody who really believes in the vision of what you're trying to bring to life. And that's how I built my team. So I had my camera people and then I hired a PR person, Deborah Locker, who had been, she had been doing productions for a while. So the three of us, uh, Jason Parmer was my creative director. The three of us came together and said, yeah, I think we can do this. So the first thing we shot was what's called a demo reel. And mm-hmm. that's where you create a sample of what the show is going to be. And then you use that to go out and try to get sponsorships, advertisers, and so forth to get funding to come in for your first TV show. But I didn't raise a single dollar on that first TV show. Right. So this it was entirely, and this is again, something for, I think is important for your viewers because one of the things I always say You have to be willing to invest in yourself before somebody else is going to be willing to invest in you. So if you don't believe in yourself enough to invest in it, why would you expect that somebody else is going to invest in it? So you've got to, if you believe in what you're doing, you have to be willing to invest in yourself to get it going. And that's Mm -hmm. what I did. And the second show I did, I got uh, at least my costs were covered. And by the time I produced my third TV show, I actually made a profit. So it's, um, you know, you really got to believe in yourself and be willing to take that leap. And then others will see it. And then you have credibility. You know, you have a, a stage you can stand on and say, well, I did do a TV show and it's still broadcasting on PBS. Oh, okay. I'll give you some money now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, <clears throat> the big takeaway from point, point I'm getting from this is that when you're starting a new thing, be prepared not to make any money on it the first time. because I you're- mean, it's yeah. a new thing, right? You might not be at it, but it's that uh, going back to that resilience, being resilient and believing in um, in why you're doing it uh, from the first in the first place, right? And yeah. going through that process of okay, um, self reflection. Okay, what could I do better? Why did not I make any money? What what were the reasons? What am I going to improve? Right? And so keeping that positive mindset, continually trying to improve yourself, and eventually. You're just going to get better. Right? You know, learn from those lessons. You do a second TV show. You learn from that. You do a third one. Now you now you're doing it. Now you've got credibility. Now you're doing well. This is awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, and I always tell people that you know not everybody's going to go out and produce a full length television show, mm. but you can get on a po- you can get on a podcast. You can get on a blog. You can start your own you know sort of process because every little success you have, you want to use that like as a stepping stone you know, and and always lean back on that. So the first articles that I had written about me were in local publications. They were small blogs. I mean, they weren't, you know, it wasn't like um, I was on the Today Show or the Ellen Show or the Oprah Winfrey Show, but I used it like it was that, you know, hey, I was on the local news show at noon. And so I would post that interview and everybody thought it was such a big deal. So you, you have to be really good at just leveraging every little success you get.
1: Just climbing up that ladder yeah now going back to that demo really said that was the first thing you need to do to to attract um, advertisers and and um, networks and things like that what what are some of the key things that people like uh, those those advertisers look at do they look at you as like the person on the camera do is the personality the most important for them or do they look at the structure of a show what are the the key indicators for them to say oh look this is uh this is worth investing i think this is Um, This makes sense.
0: Yeah, I would say the most important thing when you're getting trying to get funding for your content is they're going to want to know the demographic of who's watching it and make sure that that's their customer, and then how many eyeballs are actually seeing this content. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's a numbers game. So it's great to go in and they're like, "Oh my god, we think you're great. You have great vision, and we love your passion, and you're so excited about your TV show." all right, how many people are going to see this? And who are they? (laughs) Because I want them to buy my product. So that's really where, you know, that's really where the the rubber hits the road. And it's really hard to do. So um, and that's really why, you know, I kept moving like that wasn't that's not what I do now. Because one of the things that I learned is to create content like that on my own as an independent producer takes a long time. It's very expensive, it is hard to get it funded and it's hard to get it picked up by a network so you can get those eyeballs watching your content. Mm. And so I started to envision a, a low to no barrier network because I was like there's so I was coming across so many people that have great information to share personal trainers, nutritionists, chiropractors like I was meeting all of these people but I kept thinking to myself, there's no way they're going to go out and create their own one hour TV show and get that broadcast on a traditional network. Mm. How do we create a network where they can just get started, you know, and get the resources and the tools so that they can start to get their voice out in a bigger way?
1: Right. Now, obviously, the most simplest way right now is YouTube, right? You could easily go on YouTube. What's the benefit of going from YouTube to a uh, to network like yours?
0: So... So one of the key differences so Wellworld TV is, there is a, a bit of an a vetting and an audition process. Mm-hmm. So one of the main differences is you know you anybody can go on YouTube and create content. There is an audition process so there is a sense of being kind of a VIP member of the network and then also the educational resources that we provide. So I'm guessing 90% of the video content on YouTube is not Great. <laughs> when you come, when you come to Well World TV, we have education and training resources specifically so that by to, by the time you push that record button, you already know what the heck you're doing, even if you've never been on camera. So we we do like a four week training, and the first part of that training has nothing to do with video recording. It's about clarifying your purpose and passion, finding your voice. Uh, Using keyword analysis and strategy. So, you know, you're creating the content that people are actually searching for. Mm -hmm. The branding and marketing. So how are you using your content to actually invite the viewer to take an action? Because a lot of times we'll just create content. But if we're trying to make a living doing this or use the video to transact something, there's a way to do that through the whole creation of your, your content. Um, From the second somebody tunes in, the graphics you have up, the the language that you're using, all of that sort of stuff. So we work with them, hold their hands, so that by the time they push that record button, they're already probably better than 90% of the videos out there.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And the other key distinction here, I would say, as opposed to YouTube is that if you are somebody that is looking to, um, you you have a message you want to share that, you you think you have something valuable to say to others that others could benefit from, but you may not feel confident, you don't know how, um, and you don't feel like just pressing a uh, recording and putting it on YouTube like a lot of people do, um, this is where you guys come in. You provide that um, support, education, and by the end of it, you end up having much better content, much, much more professional content.
0: Yeah. And for me, it's fulfilling because I feel like my purpose in the world is really to be that support and resource and energy that helps people get out and share their message. And that's what happened in that doctor's office, you know, in 2005 was Mm. that sense of what can I do as a human to help people understand there's more out there in the world. So now fast forward 15 years later, and now I have a network that is really built to help these change makers who want to make a positive difference in the world, get their message out in a bigger way. So I always like to think about that because it was like that moment in the doctor's office was pivotal, pivotal, pivotal (laughs) to where I am today. Yeah. And it was a horrible
1: moment <laughs> absolutely I think I think that's uh, you know there's there's a obviously we need we need hospitals we need doctors um, but that then definitely not a solution to everything and a lot of times when it comes especially when it comes to uh, fitness um, I could definitely say from my experience um, there is a lack of knowledge a lack of understanding how that could cross over into you know, been a health benefit and when i've had clients you know when they might have a, <clears throat> a sniffle or, or you know might not be well but it's not really anything dramatic but sometimes doctors just sort of um ramp it up and give them pill and, and not just to give them a medication which is fine but they might say okay well now don't train for a month but they might not have a really thorough understanding whereas you know If they went to, let's say, if it's something, uh, a physical, like maybe a strain or they pulled something or they feel a bit of pain in the shoulder, um, they should really go to a physio, not a doctor, things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not anti-medication or pharmaceutical. I've done both. Or, you know, surgery. I'm not Mm. anti-surgery because, you know, I've had to have surgery. I've had to take pharmaceuticals at different times. But for me, it's, yeah, get information on that but get information on all the other modalities and then make the choice that's right for you. You know, my only request is that people educate themselves and then make a, a good, sound decision.
1: Yeah. Now, um, we, you said you said advertisers, going back to um, attracting advertisers and if your content. They look at, like I said, they look at what um, who is listening to your content and how many eyeballs, how many people. And this is relevant to anything, really. We're not just talking video here. We're talking about, podcasts, any any form of me- media, right? There is a concept of her that it's not always about just the volume for the advertisers. Um, I've heard that, for example, podcasts that you can actually easily start monetizing, attract advertisers, even if just 1000 downloads per episode, only yeah. if you have like a really niche specific, right? Because then it comes to quality. <laughs> like if you have a um, a Star Wars podcast. You're talking about Star Wars for the fan of Star Wars. You may not necessarily have masses, but those thousand, uh, you know, people that listen to each episode. I mean, th- they, I mean, they wouldn't be regular people. They would be somebody who's really in love with Star Wars. So, advertising to this group, um, you'd probably get more better ROI, ROI on those, right? So do you do you see that happening with ad- advertisers? <laughs>
0: You're dead on. So, so what I see happening, cause I interviewed a PR, somebody who owns a public relations firm here recently, and we were talking about influencers and stuff. And so, you know, there's your big massive influencers who have millions of followers, but maybe they don't really have high engagement or their followers are like all over the board, or you have kind of a smaller influencer who is in the cooking niche and only cooks raw vegan foods to your point point. That's who their follower is. So they may only have 10 to 20,000, you know, people that are following him, but they are high, highly likely to buy a certain, you know, advertisers type product. So they, they look at all, all of that, you know, Mm -hmm. the number of followers, the engagement, the demographics, and then they make their decision on, you know, how to do that. Because not everybody wants to eat vegan, you know, so I may have 10 million followers, but if 98% of them are not, not have any interest in being a vegan, you know, that's not going to be a good place for a vegan company.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, so we you go more for more, a bigger picture or more broad, broad offering in that case.
0: Yeah. I would, yeah. If that's, you know, if they have like, let's say they have a young millennial type audience who, you know, likes makeup or something like that, then you could get kind of that lower level, mid-level makeup, Company that's interested in the millennial female who wants to you know do her eyebrows or something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) On what's it called? On Fleck.
1: (laughs) I don't know anything about it, but (laughs) I'll look at it. (laughs) it. Maybe, maybe.
0: (laughs) Right. Just say, oh yeah, that's it.
1: (laughs) Now, what goes into so? Now, let's talk about Well Wall TV. That's a network that you've launched now, and how long has it been around for? And what goes into doing this?
0: Well, I launched it in my head about, I started the forum about two years ago. The website came to life. Just my first attempt at a website came to life just about a year ago. Mm -hmm. So, so again, if we're talking about like from an entrepreneurial perspective, where is well world TV, it's past its infancy, but it's definitely like in its toddler phase. So it's just started to get some stability in its legs. We don't have millions of followers. You know, my focus right now is to get really good content creators who are putting out meaningful content. So I haven't even started advertising Well World TV to the world because Mm -hmm. if they come to the website, they're going to be disappointed. So basically, what I'm my phase one is to get my host, what I call a channel host, onboarded to create, you know, what I call like early adopter pricing. So there's not some crazy price and they're like, well, you know, how many followers am I going to get or how many? You know, of my um, training programs, am I going to sell? So, so I have to create it in a way that is they have some skin in the game, but it's not priced at a level where they're not going to come on board. So, I have a new website that's launching. Um, well, actually, it's it's already launched because this podcast is later. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it. go to wellworld.tv and then you'll see what's going on. <laughs> that's
1: right. That's right. We are recording this, what is it, 15th of August now. So by the time you guys are listening, it's around November. So uh, yeah, definitely. Impor- this is the importance of, actually, interesting topic, importance of when you're getting your content out, think about longevity of it, think about the offerings that you put in there because that content might be there for years. And so it's good to keep things evergreen. So running a. I t- I mean, I know, I know it's an online TV network. Um, so it's a, we're talking about a place, which is being a website where all that is distributed from, are you planning to have other distribution channels?
0: Yeah. So it's funny because I, I almost feel like when people ask me about Wild world TV, I feel like I built, I built a network backwards. So I started with traditional television production. Like I said, you know, PBS demo reels, full crews, travel, very expensive, very time consuming. A lot of people aspire to do that. Like they think if they can get there, they made it. The next level of distribution is what's called over the top programming. So 55% of households in the U.S. have smart TVs. They have a Roku TV, an Apple TV, a Fire TV. And so basically you can bypass your cable network and go search for interesting, fun content that you want to watch. And so a lot of networks are starting in that area and the ones everybody's really familiar with are like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon video, those type entities. Well, there's tons of smaller ones. Maybe you haven't heard of, but they have thousands and thousands of hours of really interesting content. So if you create content, it can have a home in that space as well. Mm. And so while well world TV has a partnership with a company called glued TV. And so we're already in 4 million households in the U S So already, if somebody and, you know, you can not spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to do a regular TV show, you might just get a single camera, good lighting, a little background in a studio, and all of a sudden, your content can be placed there. So we can help people with that. Mm -hmm. And then the entry, the gateway is social media and doing, you know, kind of what we're doing here because... People think, oh, I'm not good enough or, you know, I need to wait until I have professional crew and professional camera. But the reality is, and I think what, you know, our circumstances of being more shut in, people have started to go live on social media where maybe they never would have done that. So we're seeing Zoom interviews, StreamYard, Be Live, Facebook Live, Instagram Live. Now everybody has a TV show. So, but we at Well World TV, we still want them to be creating content the right way, to represent themselves the right way and to provide something that's impactful and actually might end up in a financial transaction for them. So um, now we're at the gateway. So we onboard hosts who have never been on camera their entire life and we get them going in the social realm first, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn.
1: There's a reason why things need to be in certain in a certain degree of professionalism and and the structure of it right and and also all the technical aspects like you mentioned lightning uh, lightning lighting um good audio presentation skills how you position yourself on camera how much space above your head and in the frame and composition all those things matter especially when you want to get into those um did you say ott those networks like Netflix, yeah. Netflix, who yeah, that stands well, yeah.
0: for over the top. So it just over means you're, bypa- yeah, you're bypassing, bypassing your cable TV network and going over the top and searching for and finding content.
1: Yeah. And those networks, obviously like, like a TV, I mean, they still have their gatekeepers. I would imagine like Netflix, they would still be, you know, selective, right?
0: Well, not in the OTT space. Like literally you can start your own channel and have a network or a channel on the OTT space. So there's platforms that allow you the opportunity. It's almost like self-publishing, you know? So if you take the world of self-publishing for books, it's kind of self-publishing for your video content.
1: Right. So you, what you're saying is I could create my own version of Netflix.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Right. What I was saying is if you wanted to get on Netflix, then they are your gatekeepers. So that, that would be tricky to get on Netflix,
0: yeah. not yeah, but it's not, yeah, it's not as discerning or quite as hard as like getting on NBC or CBS or the BBC or PBS or, you know, any of those major networks. So, for example, my partnership with Glue TV, they're just looking for a certain length, uh, certain audio and visual quality, and then they want lifestyle, travel, women's programming. Um, but you don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to right. be pick, you know, you, if your stuff is good, good you know just good they'll broadcast it
1: and also maybe the bigger bigger the fish um like say tv if it's a tv then they might be um, set, having a more say to what like to your production and how it's done right and when it comes to you know your own it's your own show you it's your own creativity you don't want anybody to tell you how to do it but yeah
0: that's well, that's, that's another one that's, isn't it yeah that's the problem with um When you onboard uh, like a sponsor, let's say, they become kind of entrenched in the the content creation phase, then they're able to influence how you do it. So an example is, let's say I was doing a show on anti-aging and a doctor paid me to feature him, you know, in my anti-aging show. Now I'm kind of being held accountable because there's a financial transaction on that. I always try to encourage people, you know, go get a bank, you know, who just wants the same customer. Because they're not going to care what doctor you visit or what you talk about or any of that. They're not going to try to influence your content.
1: Are there any other ways to to be able to monetize your content so that you can continue having the full control of your creativity?
0: Yeah, there's all sorts of ways. So you know, on YouTube, if you have a thousand subscribers, you start. You can start to, and it's usually like a river of dimes. It's not like any of them are big volume, but you just start to get that trickle effect of. Uh, money coming in. So on YouTube, you start to monetize at a thousand with ad placement. You can create, um, like I've created sponsorship package for some of my series ideas where they get, you know, you can put in a billboard, a logo, you can do mentions. Uh, so you can do that. You can do affiliate marketing. So a lot, just about any company you can imagine has an affiliate program. So something that's in alignment to your content. So for me, because I'm in the content creation uh, realm, let's say it's um, keyword analysis. I can partner with a keyword analysis firm, and every time I send a customer their way, I get a kickback when they, you know, do like a when they do a purchase. So, yep. uh, you can do a product, you know. So maybe you have your own product or your own book, and you're selling your book every time, or your coaching programs. You know, there's all sorts of ways to strategically use video to try to make some money.
1: Hundred percent. For example, this podcast is hosted on an awesome platform called Captivate. And for those of you who are looking to launch a podcast, I highly recommend it. And you'll find my affiliate link in the show notes. And yes, when you do sign up, I'll I'll get a kickback, but you'll get the benefit. You'll get to explore a new hosting platform, which is really good. And Mark Asquith from UK, who runs this show, who runs this platform, owner of Rebel Base Media, he is awesome. He is not your typical CEO. He is very approachable. You can, uh, when you sign up, you actually become part of Facebook group, and he's there every fortnight on on Wednesdays doing a live stream on Facebook where you can participate, ask questions. Um, I highly recommend it. Captivate. Actually, during the process of, um, you know, looking at how, you know, how am going to launch this podcast? Am I going to go with <clears throat> which platform am I going to go with, right? And I've done a massive research. I'm a bit tech tech savvy, like with that type of stuff. I, I like to compare a lot and I create my spreadsheets and I go real deep. It takes me a week. But at the end, it's spit it out. Captivate being the best on the market. It's, it's, it's a, a growth-focused platform and really easy to get started. So Captivate, um, have a look at the link in the show notes and get started if you're looking to start a podcast.
0: See, right there. There you
1: go. (laughs) I think I just did my very first art segment I've ever done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Yay, there we
1: go. Now, let's talk about those presentation skills. So, obviously, camera, lights, sound, um, and then what's actually happened on the camera. Those are the four elements, would you say?
0: Yes, and I would say definitely audio is the most important because if people they're willing to forgive a little bit if your lighting's off or if you don't look exactly right or you're stuttering or, you know, you're mumbling your words, they'll forgive you. But if they can't hear you or if your audio is kind of garbled, they'll jump ship. So I would say yeah. audio is definitely most important, but in today's world you can literally, you can get a simple little ring light that you put in front of you to, you know, make sure your lighting looks good. You know, I'm just in kind of a business room here, but this would be totally appropriate to do some broadcast from. Exactly. I, just
1: got, I just got these ones. These are really good LED lights. Um, I've got two of them and they've got these little flippers so you can position it and they've yep. got a little, what's it called? Little You can adjust the temperature uh, of the light, so more yellow or more, more uh-huh. white, more, cool. more warm or cold yep. and, and the strength. This one's actually really cool. It's got two batteries so I can actually use it um, outside, which, is, which was my plan um, with my uh, fitness uh, fitness business, my online fitness business, um, so I can record videos in my garage. So it serves both purpose for the show and and for that. I guess takeaway point from this, what I'm saying here is if you're investing in something, think about the purpose of it and think about how you can uh, make the most of it, right? Especially if you're starting out, you might not have that much money. Uh, so think about what you're going to buy. Is it going to be useful for A and is it can you use it for B as well? Yeah, perfect.
0: This is a cut, All okay. right.
1: So moving on, um, what were some of the toughest experiences that you've had in starting and growing your business so far? How did you overcome them? And what did you, uh, what did the experience, um, you know, did for you?
0: I, I think the biggest thing that people need to, to think about, and I face this personally, is just the level of belief and confidence in yourself. So when I reflect back now in hindsight, and I see the level of experience that I brought resiliency you know never giving up if I had believed that at the beginning I think it would have changed you know my trajectory uh, you know as far as how quickly I grew or how much how quick you know the amount of time it took me to do something so that's definitely you know one of the things that stands out for me is just that's a tough little cookie right there who did all that
1: And what about those ones when you did started to see the success in your, in your business? How did that impact your lifestyle?
0: Um, well, it's, it's, I mean, I feel like I'm, I just constantly am riding a roller coaster. So I reached the peach, peak of my success in like 2017, 2018. And that's when I took my next leap. So once again, it was like I was thriving. I had consulting contracts. I still didn't feel like I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do. So again, I left all that behind, took another leap, and here I am again in a startup phase for, you know, Well World TV and just, you know, working so hard to, to get that going. So um, I, I don't know. It's just in my nature. I think those of who are listening that, that understand what I'm saying, it's just, it's just part of your DNA. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, never, you're never done taking those big leaps and trying to bring something to life.
1: Absolutely, I can definitely relate. Now, this show is about inspiring others to be at their best as well. What do you do uh, yourself to keep at your best? Do you do you work out?
0: Yeah, so so I was, and you know, I'm 52 years old. So, yeah, at about 50, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get in the best shape of my life. And so I started to actively do functional training, and you know that work, you know, all of the muscular groups it was high intensity and i was doing those type classes three to four times a week i love hot yoga i was doing hot yoga and then on the days when i don't feel like doing these i just go walk you know especially since we you know more shut in i don't want to date here but you know when when the world shut down i just went out and walked and swam and you know i live close to the ocean so just take advantage of your environment get out move your body and just stay active. I I feel like I wilt if I'm not staying active in some way.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, to wrap it up, any advice you'd like to give to somebody looking to start a business?
0: I say if you believe in what you're doing and you're so passionate about your business, don't let your own critical voice, don't let the concerns and critical voices of others keep you back. Pave Mm -hmm. your path. Try to make it as secure as possible. Do what you need to do, but don't hold yourself back. Because one of the things I always ask myself is if I were on my deathbed, which would I regret more, trying and failing or never having tried at all? And I would much rather try and fail at something than to just never even try. So I would just say, go for it.
1: Thank you, Debra. That's a great piece of advice. Now, for somebody looking to become a video influencer, you've got a bootcamp going right now. Um, what is it, how they can find about it?
0: Yes. So, um, it was the training program where we walk you A to Z all the way through the components of how to create some really brilliant video. So from the branding strategy, keyword analysis, we'll help you build a series and all your segments, all of the lights, camera, action stuff, the equipment, lighting, audio, and then the distribution outlet. So once you create your content, where's it going to go? And you can find information on that at wellworld.tv and um, all of our training programs will be represented there.
1: And Deborah, I believe we've got a special offer for our listeners.
0: Yes. So anybody who goes to wellworld.tv and signs up for the next bootcamp will get $300 off when they enter the code that uh, success inspired.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much. That's a um what's the word that's very generous thank, thank you Debra. i really appreciate that i appreciate you being on the show it's been amazing having your show talking about everything that you do um lots of wisdom lots of great tips um especially with all that presentation and all that so i'm sure all listeners have enjoyed this and those that do look to um Enter the realm of presentation and building their own content, their own personal brand, they'll be in touch with you. Perfect!
0: I'm here waiting for you. <laughs> awesome.
1: Alright Deborah, and if they want to get in touch with you directly, how they can find you? Have you got an Instagram? Your LinkedIn? Oh
0: yeah, everything is at Wellworld TV. And then my email is Deborah K, right there, at Wellworld.tv. So you can literally reach out to
1: me directly. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on the show once again. Stay inspired, stay successful everybody and until next time, have a great time. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.